Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. I went to God and said, God, you either meet me here or I'm done. Like, I have fought and tried my whole life, and I'm just at the end of my rope. And he told me he was going to meet me and do open life surgery. And he was going to actually open down to the core level of my being and start cleaning out the poison and cleaning out the damage that it was. And that was when I was 34. I'm 48 now. Author Paula Mosier Wallace is our guest today as we come to you on location from the American Association of Christian Counselors Conference in Orlando, Florida. She has an incredible story of how she overcame childhood trauma to now helping others by allowing them to share their own stories. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. And all we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Life Support is hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program, and our goal, as always, is to use story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join the conversation with Pastor Paul and Paula Mosier Wallace. So glad you've joined us on Life Support. What we do in this program is we want to point you to Christ in times of suffering and trauma so that you can have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ because oftentimes during suffering is when Jesus emerges from the shadows and makes himself known. So we're excited about that, and we're excited about the guests we have. Paula Mosher Wallace is uh, an author and a whole bunch of other things. Paula, thanks a lot for being here. Thrilled to be here. You've got a lot going on. Tell me about yourself. <laughs> well, where do you start? Um, where I am today is being a trauma coach and an ordained minister, and I work as a television co-host, director, producer. Um, we have two television shows around the world, licensed on 38 and 40 networks all over the world. We have podcasts, we have books, we have an online school and courses, and God has just had us reach the broken and hurting because I am that broken and hurting. And God asked me, what did I need the most at my most broken? And then how could I provide that for other broken little girls like me? Hmm. And so that's where my story is. Well, there's a lot there. And the book is called Bloom in the Dark, True Stories of Hope and Redemption. And I guess that's where I want to start because when we talk about trauma and we talk about suffering, we talk about abuse. Mm -hmm. um, many of us watch some of that testimony of the gymnasts in front of Congress. It's yes. just heartbreaking. And you wonder... How can there be redemption from that? How can there be hope from that? But yet here you are saying there is hope Absolutely. and redemption. Tell me where that starts. Well, the acknowledging the brokenness. Um, we talk about becoming an ex-victim. And the reason we use the term ex-victim instead of survivor or overcomer or a lot of other words that don't use the word victim is because I didn't just survive an earthquake. I was a victim to somebody else's power, abuse, damage. And if I can't own that and take the shame out of that, then it's very difficult for me to heal. And so when I have actually owned the damage and the brokenness that's there, and I have then done the work and gone to God and gotten the help I need and gotten miraculous healing and gotten 
the, the support in the community around me to know I'm not alone. There's hope and the work and the pain and the process of healing is worth it. Then I can become an ex-victim, which gets me to a point where I can actually help other people because I'm not still hiding in shame over my victimization. I have the ability to share that testimony because in Revelations it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And especially in the church and in society in general, it hasn't been till recently that it has been okay to share those testimonies. When it's sexual abuse, when it's uh, trafficking, when it is um, abuse within the church, you know, those were taboo yep. subjects. Yep. And God's called me to be the voice of the broken little girls and share the hope and healing in the shame-based brokenness that nobody wanted to talk about. Good for you. And by the way, the background noise you hear, we're at the Waymaker World Conference in Orlando, sponsored by the American Association of Christian Counselors, and they're here to help too, and they're here because they want to lead you toward Christ and healing. To me, the the difficult part of, of overcoming abuse or becoming an ex-victim, which I really like that terminology, by the way, is even coming to grips with how to think about it. How, how do I even compartmentalize it? Because, as you know, many abuse victims have it over here and don't even remember it sometimes. Well, the worst part of my abuse, um, I still don't remember. There's witnesses to it. There's knowledge of what happened. And there's the trigger trauma PTSD responses. But I don't have clear memories. I was two years old. Wow. And I got through a series of circumstances, ended up with an extremely abusive foster mom who was an elder in a cult, Christian cult church that I was in. And for six months, I was beaten till I quit crying. I was sexually molested. I was um, punished for not anticipating what she wanted as a toddler. And I have witnesses who saw a bunch of the things. I was nearly drowned, and we can just go down the list. Yeah. And my family was in the commune. I saw them on a daily basis, and they didn't help me or save me. Um, my mom was out of the country having a baby. I was in Peru because, you know, commune in the middle of the jungles in South America. And so my family, to um, make sure I was physically taken care of, when there's five kids and my dad was having to do work in the jungles where he couldn't take care of us, right? They thought they were giving me to this female elder in the church that was going to care for me the best. But because of the power structure, she had no accountability. And the damage that that set me up for at five years old, I was raped by a practicing witch doctor who had infiltrated our commune down in South America. And I was hit you know, the, the concept of a sexual child sacrifice within that satanic um, ritual stuff. And that sets you up for things like 15-year abusive marriage and workplace abuse that turn into a federal, state, and local lawsuit. And we can go down lists of ways that the cycles of damage. Re-victimization. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was the only one. I didn't know anybody else who'd been through stuff I had. And so it was very difficult to reach out for help, to admit to anything, because it wasn't safe. Is the church becoming safer? Or is it still very, very scary? It's um, 5% where it should be. It, it's, so it's starting. not very safe. It's better than it was it's 10 years ago. It's creeping forward. It is it baby steps creeping forward. And like even what we've done in media, we, before uh, Me Too movement and, and all these things that have gone public, 
we were out there telling these testimonies of shame-based brokenness and the hope and healing that was available. And we have watched the influence and the voice and the change. And now there are so many more media outlets that are talking about our subject matter. And there's so many more shows that we're about other things that are now incorporating episodes about our type of brokenness. And I am just thrilled at the much more open discussion forums we have like this. We're getting to sit here and talk and you specialize in addressing the difficult, damaging, hurtful, mental illness related stories, right? So I, every way that we can have more of a voice and let people know there's hope and healing available, I'm just thrilled. Yeah, and I think one of the goals I have for my church is, and I think it comes from my background of, uh, of the things I've been through, is I want people to understand that not, not brokenness isn't a crime. It's it's not something that they necessarily did to themselves. In fact, it's an opening to find out more, more about who God is. Yeah. And if you can just be free to say, yeah, I'm broken. Mm-hmm. I, I'm broken beyond repair. Yes. That's why Jesus came. Mm-hmm. Because we're all broken beyond repair. But the kind of experiences you described and what other people have gone through can can easily be debilitating. So how did you how did you first figure out that you needed help and how did you begin to kind of unwind this incredible thing you just said? Well, as a small child because the abuse was so extreme so young, um luckily I had a relationship with God, very little, and he was my secret friend. I first learned women couldn't be trusted and hurt you horribly. And then I learned that men couldn't be trusted and hurt you horribly. And so I, my whole life, I've always remembered running to God about all of it. And I would ask him why I was hurting so bad. And he consistently told me, this is part of your training. And my response was, I don't want whatever job takes this kind of training. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Like, you can try that on somebody else. There's other people that can do this. But then I would go back and say, God, whatever whatever you need to work through me for your kingdom and your glory, whatever it takes, I'm willing. You know, I don't want this, and I don't want it this way, but I'm willing. And he gave me just enough help in just enough little ways over the years as I was growing up. I was 16 when I first admitted to my parents about the rape and and the flashbacks and everything I was having about that and got prayer and support, not real counseling, not in-depth trauma help, but at least prayer and spiritual I'm covering over that. And then when I was 20, I got additional um, prayer and support, but I have major health issues because of all the trauma um, responses. And I was 34 when I became completely suicidal. My health was broken down, lists of diseases and messed up stuff because the extreme cortisol and adrenaline overloads and the, like just all the stress damage um, that I had. We'll be back to the conversation in a moment. Today's program is taped on location from the American Association of Christian Counselors Conference in Orlando, Florida. My name is Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media, and we are so pleased to be a co-sponsor of this program. We use story to bring hope and healing for those in need of change. And for more about our story-based resources, log on to lifesupportresources.org. And now, back to Pastor Paul. And 
I went to God and said, God, you either meet me here or I'm done. Like, I have fought and tried my whole life, and I'm just at the end of my rope. And he told me he was going to meet me and do open life surgery. And he was going to actually open down to the core level of my being and start cleaning out the poison and cleaning out the damage that it was. And that was when I was 34. I'm 48 now. So 14 years now of super intensive, greedy for healing, chase down every bit of hope and healing for all the complex trauma, PTSD, all the different areas of damage. And I am still, for a lifetime, got anywhere, whether it is healing from the trauma or it's just sanctification. I'm just going, growing closer to you. I want whatever you have for me and I will fight for it. I will, I will search for it. I will chase it down because I now know that hope and healing and joy and life and what we call blooming and it's blooming in the dark rather than just blooming because if you see the cover of the book, it has a tomb and there's flowers growing in the tomb because resurrection life didn't happen out in the garden. Resurrection life happened in the closed, dark, lifeless tomb. And God showed me that and that resurrection life in my story was going to come out of the miraculous resurrection life of Christ in the brokenness, in the darkness, in the damage, rather than needing the circumstances to be perfect. I needed to understand that his resurrection life overrode my circumstances. So a lot of my healing happened in situations where I was still dealing with ongoing abuse. And I was going through um, standing up in court situations and mediation on a federal level over the workplace damage I had experienced because I was one out of 30 some women who had gone through this process and I was the only one healed enough to stand up publicly. And so areas like that where the journey of seeking that hope and fighting for whatever it takes to get it is um, is a gift God gave me, I think, in mm-hmm. the calling he has for me to be out there. Yeah, you're like a walking story of redemption. The book is Bloom in the Dark, True Stories of Hope and Redemption. Paula Moser Wallace is my guest from Orlando and the Waymaker World Conference. Here's what I try to tell people. I'm not sure everybody understands this concept. I, I love the flowers growing out of the tomb. That helps. Because if people haven't been through stuff, sometimes it's difficult to understand the depth of it. So people that listen to the program hear the open, and they know my story. Mm -hmm. They know that um, I was a victim of abuse. They know I've lost a wife to cancer. They know I've lost a son to homicide, et cetera, et cetera. And here's what I try to tell them, that at the darkest, very darkest places, in my mind, I have this picture And I would lay in bed many a night in just total grief. I can offer nothing to God. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And Jesus somehow just would emerge in that. Mm -hmm. And he would like say, it's okay. Follow me. Mm -hmm. And unless he takes you to those places, and and nobody, I don't want anybody else to go there. Don't get me wrong. Right. We we never want anyone to have There are other ways to do this. All right? But... (laughs) For me, this is what God decided. Mm-hmm. And I can tell people, if I wouldn't have gone through this stuff, I would not know God the way I do now. I would not love him as much. I'm a better man for it. Mm-hmm. And 
the fact that you can describe some of the things you've gone through is a testament to his faithfulness, to his power, and his love for you. Absolutely. And so there are people listening right now saying, yeah, I can't, I can't do that. There's no way I can tell anybody about this. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? Well, I would say to them that they're worth the help that they need. That it wasn't their fault. They weren't unlovable or worthless or any of the things they've been told or experienced or believed. That the enemy is out to do evil and to steal, kill, and destroy. And as a victim, you're a victim of the enemy working through people to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal your innocence, kill your hopes and dreams, destroy who God designed you to be. And God's heart is to bring in the love and redemption because I don't think he ever allows the enemy to do any harm that he is not capable, willing, and wanting to heal. And in that space, when there is that healing and hope, we have an intimacy and connection with God that you can't get without that level of wounding and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And my dependency on God, I know that following him and, and continuing to run to him first, my life depends on it. Yeah. It's not a, a maybe sort of, if I'm in the mood, I following him is my lifeline. Mm -hmm. And I actually feel sorry for people sometimes who don't see themselves as broken enough to run to him at that level of desperation. Because it doesn't matter if you've ever admitted anything to anybody. I tell people it's like having a hidden cancer in your body. And just because you're not admitting you have the cancer doesn't mean it's not killing you. Yeah, that's right. And and even if your experiences aren't quote-unquote as horrific, sin is still a problem. Right, and a 10 is a 10 is a 10. Yeah. So somebody's yeah. 10 That's because right. they got bullied in fifth That's right. grade That's right. is is the same pain level as my 10 with what I've been through. Don't you have people sometimes say, you know, I've got this thing, but I, I can't share it with you because you've been through so much. And I'll go like, no, please don't do that. Your stuff is your stuff. You know, right. it's important. And it is the worst of the worst for you. Yeah. And there's hope and healing for that. There's yeah. no comparison between tens and tens. That's right. It, it's all a ten. And God's desire to, to heal and redeem and bring life is equal for all of us. It, it doesn't matter what level the brokenness is. When did you come to the place in your journey where you felt like, I'm starting to get traction? I'm, I, I, I'm starting to be able to stand on my own two feet. There's hope now. When did that happen for you? When I was 34 and started the really intensive healing journey, I spent a week doing spiritual intervention um, before I was anywhere near strong enough to start counseling and digging up the past and all of this stuff. And what did that look like? Um, There's a ministry called Be In Health um, in Georgia, and they actually just help you work through generational damage and family patterns and Um, lies and beliefs that that you've kind of accumulated and you just make a deliberate verbal choice to reject those things and to ask God to come in and bring healing and I actually got a whole bunch of medical miraculous healing um, at the end of that week God met me there the the process is just a process but if God meets you there he's the miracle worker and he healed me from thyroid issues and for um, female, whole list of female issues and um, severe back damage and, and a bunch of stuff where he just came in and, and miraculously healed. 
And that gave me the impetus I needed to be willing to actually dig up and deal with and work through stuff. Now, mind you, it still took me five years to hit a point um, where the destructive aspects of my marriage, um, I actually started counseling. And that started opening up my understanding of all the things I'd rationalized and normalized and ignored and shut down and dissociated from, um, started bringing those things to the surface and I had to start owning, um, wait a second, I've actually got a lot of damage and a lot of wounds and they will continue to destroy me if I don't get the necessary surgery and therapy and, you know, like all the stuff emotionally that I needed. And, um... It's, I've never invested more money, more time, or more pain in something, and I have never had something of more value. But you have to do the work, you have and to you do have the to work be and willing to, to see it all. You have to be willing to look at everything, don't you? Right, and when, when yeah. somebody finds out they have cancer yeah. that will kill them, what do they have to choose? Usually before the cancer kills them, they have to choose surgery. They have to choose to do destructive, difficult, painful treatments to be able to save their life, right? And I remember my counselor saying to me, Paula, if you had cancer, would you do whatever it took to fight it? And I said, well, of course. Would you take time off work? Well, yes, I would. Would you pay the money? Would you? I would do whatever it took. I'd ask for help. I would get the community involved. I would do whatever it took to fight. And he said, and how is the damage you have that's killing you from the inside, how is that not worth that same level of fight? And that was when I started getting outside help and support system and going to recovery meetings in addition to counseling, in addition to accountability, in addition to self-help, in addition to, and I went, if there's help out there, I don't care what it is or where it is, I want all of it. And I fought for and worked for and sacrificed for because I finally understood that my life was worth it, that God had an amazing healing available for me, and that every bit of it was worth the struggle and the pain and the challenge of it because it is, when you have the contrast of the really deep, dark tomb side of things, do you know how much brighter the sunshine is? How much more beautiful the flowers are Mm -hmm. and the birds singing. And I get to live in this miraculous, amazing, wondrous world because I know the darkness and death that is on the other side of it. Right? That's exactly right. I feel sorry for other people. They don't have that. (laughs) I know. And, and, And God's given you a platform now where you have a chance to express it. The book that is, we're currently talking about is Bloom in the Dark, True Stories of Hope and Redemption. Where can I get the book, number one? And what are some other avenues that we can find out more about you? Absolutely. You can get the book uh, through Amazon or any retailer um, that has it out there or our website, which is bloominthedark.org. And the book is 30 True Stories. It has some They're all anonymous because that way we could be raw and real about the brokenness and tell you the hope and healing. Because if it's sugar-coated and you don't believe the brokenness, then the healing doesn't really make any difference. And so to do that, a bunch of girls and women from all backgrounds, all socioeconomic standing, all different ages, all different ethnicities, um, are telling all different stories of brokenness, abuse, addiction, pain, mental illness, and saying this is how it was, this is how it hurt, this is how hard it was, this is what caused it, but God, but God, but God. And for me, I needed to know I was not alone and there was hope. 
and this compilation is you're not alone and there's hope because no matter what your story is, no matter how healthy or how broken you think you are, you will find yourself in one of these stories and recognize the fact that there is brokenness and hurt because we all have it. It's a fallen world. But that God will meet us there no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, that there's hope and it's worth reaching out for help. So the book is Bloom in the Dark, Two Stories of Hope and Redemption. Paula Mosier Wallace, thank you so much for spending time with us. Great to meet you. Thank you so much. And you know, when when Paula was talking, the, the, the simple words of Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life, is those words just kept coming to mind because he is the giver of life. He is the one that can come alongside of you and he can take you from the dark places and give you the sunshine, give you that hope. And I hope that you are encouraged by that today. We're so excited about our partners that help us with this program, faithradio.com. And you can see a visual rendition of this podcast at fivestonemedia.com. You can also check us out at Ridgewood Church at myrwc.org. So glad you listened to Life Support, and we'll catch you next time. This is Steve Johnson again, Executive Director of Five Stone Media. And we've had the privilege of creating the Life Support Series and the Life Support Resource Library. The library includes tools and resources that can help you be equipped to come alongside others who are suffering and in pain. Among the tools are therapist webinars and blogs, sermon starters and transitions, short videos, small group material and conferences. And you can find out more at this address, lifesupportresources.org. Again, that's lifesupportresources.org. And we'd love to introduce you to the material. This Life Support Program is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. Thanks for listening to this Life Support Podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.